The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. This episode features a recording of a panel discussion from the Reducitarian Summit held in Los Angeles at the end of September 2018. The goal of the summit was to spark solution-driven conversations and inspire action that can help individuals and communities decrease meat consumption. I had the pleasure of moderating a panel called Transforming Food Service that focused on how we can encourage food service providers and institutions to promote and incorporate more plant-based foods on the menu. This engaging conversation featured expert panelists Christy Middleton from the Humane Society of the United States, who you might remember from episode 55 of this podcast, as well as Kim Husky from Google, Audrey Lawson Sanchez of Balanced, a public health and nutrition advocacy organization campaigning for healthier menus in schools, hospitals, and other critical institutions, and Sebastian Joy from ProVeg International, a food awareness organization with the goal of leading efforts to reduce global meat consumption by 50% by the year 2040. During the panel, each expert explains their organization's approach to promoting meat reduction and the strategies they use, in addition to sharing success stories. There's also a Q&A portion where the panelists address questions from myself as well as audience members. There's really no question that we all need to consume less meat if we want to create a food system that can actually feed our growing population by 2050 without entirely devastating the planet. And thanks to the panelists in this discussion, I have a lot of hope that this can be achieved. panel gathered over here. Um, and I want to start off with um, having them, each one of them, tell us what it is that they do to accelerate the adoption of plant-based foods um, in food service and institutions. We'll start with uh, Christy Middleton. Um, Christy, go for it. Thank you so much, Neil. And I just want to add how exciting it is to be here with such an esteemed group of panelists and with yourself and with this incredible audience. So thank you all for joining us this morning. 
So as Noel mentioned, I'm with the Humane Society of the United States, and a lot of people might wonder what that has to do with food, and no, we're not making cat and dog food. Um, my team works with institutions on trying to create a more humane society for farm animals, and we've been doing that for a long time, initially working on trying to change the way that uh, food producers, restaurants, retailers, and others were treating animals within their supply chain, trying to move away from intensive confinement like confining mother pigs in gestation crates that were so small they couldn't turn around and egg-laying hens in battery cages so tightly that they couldn't even spread their wings. But we realized that there was no way that we could make this a more humane society and continue eating meat, eggs, and dairy at our current levels. And so we embarked on a journey where we wanted to help with reducing the amount of meat that's being consumed. And to Brian's point earlier we really need to focus on shifting the way that food is um, put out to consumers. And of course, we can help with changing individual behavior, and there's a lot of work that's being done by tremendous organizations and has been done for a long time trying to help people reduce meat consumption or go vegetarian or vegan. But if we really want to move the needle, we realize that we need to work with institutions. So what my team does is we help schools, hospitals, colleges and universities, the military, correctional facilities, and virtually any type of institution with reducing their overall meat purchases and getting more plant-based options on menus. And we do that by providing recipes, marketing resources, and really one of the most, I think, helpful things that we offer is hands-on culinary training. Kim and I were just discussing this need because oftentimes we see that institutions are seeing this growing demand, they want to meet it, but they don't have the culinary skills, and they're not really sure where to, be, where to begin. And one example is a university in California, I won't say which one, started doing Meatless Monday many years ago, and they called us and said, we're doing this Meatless Monday program. Our students wanted it. We really want to do this, but it's not working. So we went and checked out their facility, and we saw that they were calling out that they were serving vegan brown rice, vegan cauliflower, and vegan broccoli. So no wonder they were failing. They brought us in to help them out, and their program improved dramatically after that. But giving them those hands-on skills is something that we feel like is a way to bridge that gap between meeting the demand um, that customers are asking for and then satisfying their customers. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. We have Kim Husky from Google. Um, thank you, and it's really great to be here. I'm really excited to talk about all the great things that we're all doing. I was really inspired by what Brian said about working together and what we can do with incremental change and what we're all doing to contribute. Um, so I'm from Google. It's a tech company. You say, what what is tech got to do with food? I'm on a team that is um, an internal organization that provides all the food and food experiences for our employees, our visitors, guests, and clients. And what we aspire to do is, um, through food choices and food experiences, uh, enable the Google community to inspire and live more sustainable lifestyles and um, have more sustainable communities. And the way that we think about doing that is uh, one of the ways that we can contribute is towards uh, supporting a plant-forward diet. And um, as as Chris, Christy was saying, you know, it's it's not about 
you can't have this, you can't have that. We try to nudge our users. So we use behavioral sciences, um, choice architecture. Um, we're working on different programs to uh, give our chefs more culinary skills um, because it starts with the food, right? It starts flavor rules, and we start with that. Um, and we put vegetables at the front and center. Um, we encourage and nudge our users towards these um, more sustainable and plant-forward diets. So it's really exciting to work with so many different people, and that's a thing. Like, Google doesn't have, we don't have all the answers. That's why we love coming to these um, conferences and working and hearing with, with everyone else and how we can share and uh, contribute to <clears throat> feeding the world more sustainably and responsibly. Thanks. Thank you, Kim. Audrey Sanchez from uh, Balanced. Hi, I am Audrey Lawson Sanchez, and I am the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called Balanced. At Balanced, what we do is um, we mobilize, we organize and mobilize people to run and support meat reduction and healthy menu campaigns in institutions just like HSUS, in schools, hospitals, universities. Um, unlike HSUS, we are sort of the heavy in this space. So we, um, our campaigns are a lot more high pressure than some other meat reduction campaigns tend to be. We um, create a guide, we have toolkits, we do one-on-one -on -one coaching and support for anybody in any community who wants to go to a key decision maker at an institution where they live and say, hey, we deserve better. We uh, use evidence-based nutrition and public health data to make the case that this is an urgent crisis and we have an obligation to improve the food environment for our children and our families, especially in places where people often don't have a whole lot of autonomy in their food choice. So schools, hospitals, those sort of places. Um, so yeah, if you need someone to come in with righteous indignation, you are welcome to email me <laughs> at any point, which I know the step for dress is, is quite deceiving, but... I'll, I'll be there. Thank you, Audrey. Sebastian. Hi. Yeah. Hello, everybody. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, my name is Sebastian Joy. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Provich International. We are an international food awareness organization with the mission to reduce global animal consumption by 50% until the year 2040. We originally started off in, in Germany, have been expanding across uh, Europe, and last year to, to Africa, and now we are expanding to the U.S. and, and China. Um, because obviously in order to reach our what we call 50 by 40 mission, we have to be uh, active on a global scale. Uh, we are not framed as an animal charity. In fact, our vision is described as a world where everyone chooses delicious and healthy food that is good for all humans, animals, and our planets, which means we use what we call the five pros of ProVeg, which, you know, as I, in its, its taste, health, uh, food justice, animals, and environment. And this actually has been proven quite well in working with the food industry because usually, you know, they don't, they don't care so much about animals, but they care more about sustainability and they care more about the health of their employees. So by being able, you know, as um, 
she pointed out, uh, you know, being able to, you know, play the health card or play the environmental card, we have had uh, tremendous success. For example, you know, we reached out to the to the Berlin school universities uh, or the, the Berlin universities, and and they agreed to like imp implement like a vegan a vegan option across the board. Uh, or actually, just I think two days ago, we have been awarded uh, the Momentum of Change Awards from the United Nations, also for our work that we do with students by convincing uh, like high school schools to become more plant-based. And I think this is all, uh, quite, quite amazing that even like the United Nations, like they, they, I think they also awarded Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods mm -hmm. recently with some, uh, what is it called? Yeah, Champion of the Earth Award. So I think it's really great to see that even like this big institution, when you start talking about climate and environment and health, that they actually suddenly get on board with uh, reductive measures. Thank you, Sebastian. So obviously we have a very qualified panel here to talk about the subject today. Uh, the challenge is going to be how do we pack it all in within the three hours we have, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so I want to start at the highest level because we heard earlier this morning um, that institutional change is a really crucial part of uh, getting us to where we need to be if you have any hope of uh, having a sustainable planet, healthy people, and of course getting the billions of animals that are stuck in factory farms on an annual basis. Um, the first question I have at the highest level is why is it that food service, uh, food, food service providers and institutions, why are they even changing? What's the key driver that's getting them to even listen to any one of you. So um, I'll start with Audrey, actually. Oh. Um, I'm assuming they listen to you, personally. They, they do listen <laughs> to us, yeah. Um, so in our case, the reason they listen to us is because um, we are able to make the case that this actually is an urgent, critical problem, and there are people who um, demand more from these institutions. So. While we don't have the expertise that a culinary team uh, like HSUS could provide, we actually are able to bring together large stakeholders in communities to say like, hey, we are part of this community, you are an institution that serves us, and um, as much as we can do individually to improve our health, like all of our food envi environments matter, and as soon as we leave our home, if we don't actually have access to the healthy foods that we know are good for us, then what's the point? Um, and especially when we're talking about people's children or their family members in hospitals or places like that, um, we make a pretty compelling case that it's not just uh, the opportunity to change, but it is an institution's responsibility at this moment in time to ensure public health improves. So is it um, health that's the driving factor? Is it the fact that uh, they feel that they have a sustainability responsibility or are consumers or the end users of these institutions. And I know when I say institutions, I'm casting a wide net because a school is not the same as a hospital. Sure. Not, neither of them are the same as Google. Um, so my question really is, and maybe, maybe Kim or, or Christy can help me with this, is uh, what would you say you found to be the key reason people are even focusing on plan-forward menus or meatless Mondays and other things? I'll let you start. Okay. Just, I'll just speak from, from Google, and it's only, you know, one company, but um, Google, our, the mission at Google is to impact people's lives, a lot of people's lives, we say billions of people's lives, in, in a positive way. So, and 
as an internal organization, the food program, we want to do the same. And we want to use our, our partnerships and our, um, our stakeholders to impact that change. And I think it, you know, it comes from most of us probably in this room can agree right, that our food systems are unsustainable for both people and the planet, and that they leave billions of people, right, inadequately nourished, and they operate at a high environmental cost. We waste a large amount of what we produce, and then we leave many of our producers at or below the poverty level. So those are big problems. But then what can we do, and how can we get our user base to buy into this? And we do it incrementally, and people at Google, they're a highly educated group. So you know just by knowing that drink more water, eat more vegetables is good for you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to. So we help nudge our users towards kind of what, what they want to use, using behavioral sciences, choice architecture, and that. Um, so it's, I, I think most people know what, what they want to accomplish, and, and we help nudge them towards it, and we give them the opportunity. Right. Yes, and I'll just add to that, um, we, you know, looking at the research on individual behavior change, health is really the leading motivator for people who want to eat less meat. So years ago when we went in and were talking to institutions, we would lead with that because we know that you know, whether it's a K-12 through school or a hospital or university, the people who are in charge of the purchasing decisions, they want to help their guests make healthier choices. But that's not really, you know, we have to lead with deliciousness when we're menuing things to guests. These days, I think that it's because it's popular. Looking at all of the research, um, we follow the food industry trade publications, food service director, food management. I'm sure you all have subscriptions. They're really <laughs> sexy titles. But we're reading the same thing that the food industry is, is reading. And for years now, vegan comfort food, vegetarian food, vegetarian food takes the center of the plate. Those things have been top trends. And I think when something has been a trend for many years in a row, it becomes no longer a trend, but something that's really here to stay. So they're doing this now because they want to meet this growing customer demand and also because it's more profitable. And I'll share with you a couple of examples of that. So in 2011, around the time that we started working on this program, University of North Texas, which is in Denton, Texas, just north of Dallas, did something that no other university had done ever before, and that was they created an all-vegan university dining hall. They had five dining halls on campus, and they had been hearing from a lot of students that they wanted more vegan options. There was one of their dining halls that was underperforming, getting about 175 transactions each day. And they were thinking about closing it, but they decided, why don't we turn this around and see if we can make something of it? They converted it to vegan, and they were using all, mostly, whole foods, plant-based things. They weren't buying a lot of specialty products because they had a plate cost of $1.25. And they were making a lot of comfort foods that just happened to be vegan because it's in the South and their executive chef is a very good Southern cook. They were doing things like shepherd's pie, that they were using oats instead of a beefless crumble as their meat alternate, or nachos, Italian nachos, uh, mac and cheese, things that were just delicious on their face but that happened 
wanted to be vegan. And what happened is that they got over $200,000 in free publicity. Their transactions went very quickly from 175 to 400. And to this day, seven years later, even though it's no longer something that's new and um, and exciting on campus, it's still getting over a thousand transactions. They then became a model for universities around the world who saw that they were making, making a great profit. And also, it was a recruitment tool. They saw that students were actually coming to that school because they had a vegan dining hall. And I don't want to dominate the discussion here, but what I can tell you is that uh, institutions do see this now as a business opportunity. And if they're not doing it, they're missing out. I mean, Sebastian, I do want to get your perspective because it's from Europe. And is is health the leading driver there as well, or is sustainability more of a bigger bigger concern? Um, well, health certainly is a big driver, um, but I would also say sustainability, depending on the company. So um, we have found that that can also be quite a quite a big motivator. And actually, when it comes to or a lot of the programs we actually have are actually co-sponsored by government. Uh, by you know framing the whole issue one way that the government cares about, and we had way more successes framing it in a climate change and environmental uh, perspective than with a health perspective. So we have gotten you know several grants from the Ministry of Environment to change, uh, you know, like the school program. I just mentioned that we got there from the United Nations. Uh, that was, for example, by uh, the National Climate Initiative, co-funded. And uh, so from that regard, uh, it's certainly important to keep the environment and sustainability on the radar and played at Cardwell. I have a controversial question, maybe, perhaps, um, but I want to get it out of the way uh, because I think it's relevant. Why is it that um, when institutions are trying to make a change, maybe from a health or sustainability standpoint, they aren't first thinking about sourcing um, meat, dairy, and eggs from smaller producers, responsible producers, I'm using air quotes, sustainable <laughs> producers. Um, is it merely because of cost? Um, is plant-based just cheaper? Um, is that why that's not even part of the discussion? Or perhaps it is. So why not shift towards better forms of animal products uh, if they exist from smaller producers versus going with a plant-forward approach or meatless Mondays or like a vegan cafeteria? Well, I, I, I think you can do b both. Um, and, and, you know, at, at Google, we, we consider all of that. And I think also at Google, we consider like, this might be controversial, but why not work with the factory farmer and make change there? How can we, how can we change, how can we change that? I mean, does it, I don't know, does it just have to go away? Can we, can we make change there and make it more sustainable? You know, um, fish farms, there are sustainable fish farms. <laughs> wait She's waiting for a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Um, well, not for the fish, I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> a joke. You know, I'm going to hang on to Brian talking about reducitarian and, and, and attacking this problem at all kinds of different yeah. angles. And so, you know, that's, I think that's what, what, we, what we want to look at at, at Google and, and how can we impact change on, on a whole bunch of different levels and with different partners. Yeah, I'm going to let, yeah. I think Audrey wants to chime in. I'm oh, sure. So the institutions we work with primarily um, contract with food service providers. Yeah. They're not going directly, like, sourcing or procuring their food 
in, independently. And a lot of the institutions that we work with just have like microwave kitchens. So they are dependent on essentially what a food service provider can mm. get to them quickly, cheaply, and can be microwaved for 500 children every day. Um, so the discussion is never like, how can we find happy cows? It's like, how many chicken nuggets do I get in this bag for $6, right? Um, and so the conversation for us is like, let's replace that with something mm -hmm. healthier, um, not replace it with something slightly better. It's, right. Especially using the health yeah. angle, like, okay, cholesterol is cholesterol. So like a cow in a pasture versus a cow on a factory farm, like you're still getting a mm -hmm. lot of cholesterol. And children and people who eat cholesterol have diet-related diseases and it's the leading cause of death in our country. So let's not poison children. Yeah. I th can't argue that. Oh, I, I was, just, yeah, I was just going to add that, um, that cost is, is definitely, I think, a main driver. You know, at the end of the day, these institutions, even if they are schools that are getting funding from the USDA, they have to have a sustainable business model. And their, their plate costs, I think a lot of them are around a dollar five, and that's to have five meal components that they're required to offer. And so for many institutions, they simply can't afford to purchase higher welfare products. There are some that are doing that, and one example is Oakland Unified. I live in Oakland, California, so I'm a little biased, but it's a school district that has been doing a tremendous amount of work, um, first starting with Meatless Monday, later doing a Lean and Green Wednesday because, as Audrey mentioned, there are operational obstacles that a lot of these institutions face, and for them, Wednesdays worked better. And then they were finding other opportunities to reduce meat throughout the week, doing blends where even though they're required to offer um, meat or meat alternate two-ounce portions at a time, they were doing half meat, half beans, and that enabled them to purchase higher welfare beef on those days. So there are people who are trying to do more of that, but I think think that really we know that, um, especially if we're serving whole plant-based foods, these are things that can be less expensive. They can be shelf-stable. You can buy them in bulk and store them for some time. So serving more plant-based foods actually can help institutions with saving money. Yeah, Sebastian? Yeah. yeah one, I would also say that price is probably like a very big driver that uh, discourages the companies. What we actually notice what often is like sometimes... Uh, the challenge, if they're too much motivated by climate, you know, they might get the idea, okay, why don't we replace the beef with more chicken? Because, you know, obviously, if you're just looking from a greenhouse gas perspective, that's uh, greenhouse gas perspective, that's that's a good choice. Uh, but obviously, then it's very important, you know, for us to be there and really point out, well, actually, going plant-based is much better than switching to chicken, because, uh, you know, from a numbers perspective, actually, you actually you would increase obviously the the number of animals suffering tremendously by shifting from beef to chicken. So that's something I think that. And, and since we touched on the fact that health is one of the key drivers, I think maybe this is a good time to go to one of the audience questions that seems to be upvoted the most. Um, so. You all are probably familiar with the, the ketogenic diet that's been around for a couple of years. So since keto, I'm going to ask the question. Keto, meat-based <coughs> diets are now touted as a new way to treat and avoid high blood sugar and diabetes. So how do you convince people plant-based is the right way to go versus uh, a keto, paleo, or whatever else that's out there right now? I'll take this, and the answer is we don't. 
We're not trying to convince people. We're trying to convince the food service providers so that we don't have to persuade individual consumers that this diet is better. As you know, consumers are fickle and things change all the time. But by working with these large-scale institutional food service providers, if we can get them to do it and they serve delicious, eye-appealing food that everybody wants to eat, whether they're trying to eat keto or they're a hardcore carnivore, then we can make the changes that we're trying to make on a large scale. So we don't really try to focus on persuading individuals. And you don't face any pushback from the institutions about, like, show me the science that uh, plants are better. I think at this point people should know that. Um, And I do kind of want to touch on what Kim mentioned is that uh, if you are offering meat and, and plant-based options, which almost any institution or food service provider is, uh, as long as you're messaging the fact that if you want to eat animal products, even from a smaller producer, the only way you can do that sustainably is if you eat far less of it. And the only way you can make that happen is if you eat more plants. So I think it all leads back to, to plants in the end. So I think in keeping with the reducitarian theme, I, think we don't, I don't think anyone disagrees on that. Um, uh, so let's kind of move on to um, what kind of messaging has worked um, well when you kind of when you've convinced someone to include meatless Monday, have a meatless Monday, or include some plant forward or plant based options. Do you explicitly try to brand and message it with the environmental benefits or the health benefits, um, or do you do more of a stealth approach where? You just create amazing food. Um, In the case of Google, I know that's what you do. Um, And then make people kind of want to try that food because it just sounds great and don't label it vegan. What works better? Yeah, in in our environment, uh, I don't want to say really stealth because that sounds sneaky, but um, we have found more... um, more positivity around just making the plate, like Christy says, just delicious and craveable. Um, and that, that starts with the flavor and how the plate looks and giving vegetables the, the star of the show. Um, we, we do uh, signage, but we don't say eat this healthy ca- roasted cauliflower. We, you know, it's, it's have a spicy Moroccan cauliflower with your you know, something sexy. Can't think of it right now. <laughs> but, you know, sexy works better than healthy. <laughs> and, and, and so thinking about how we label items, um, thinking about how we're preparing and cooking them, giving them, you know, what maybe might be called the meat treatment, so a, a whole salt-encrusted beet that, like, you watch a chef crack into, or the whole um, roasted cauliflower that you can slice, like maybe you might have done meat. Um, We work with our chefs in engagement with our users so they can talk about the food and get people excited. Because if the chef is telling you that this is delicious and is handing it to you like this, you want to try it. Um, So those are some of the ways that that we get people excited about it, um, rather than saying, this is really good for you, Mm -hmm. you should eat it. So none of that happens in schools. Um, (laughs) They're like, watch me open this bag of corn dogs, right? So we actually try not to make it super explicit, uh, but when we're talking with institutions or decision makers, we talk about the fact that food environment is the number one determinant of food choice. Mm. And nobody went around as chicken nuggets were being invented saying like, look, meat, chicken nuggets. You don't have to say like vegan bean burrito. You can just 
swap and say, like, now you actually have a choice between two different things versus do you want cheese pizza or pepperoni pizza? That's a false choice we offer children. So we talk about um, changing the food environment such that the healthy choice is a much more Mm -hmm. default choice like that. Um, But in schools, it's not as fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and well, I, I can yeah. add that um, there is burgeoning research on this. There's not a ton of it, but um, with the school environment, there's a Cornell program, the Smarter Lunchroom program, mm-hmm. and they found that by simply naming a burrito a big bad bean burrito instead of a bean burrito, that that actually increased participation. They sold out completely of those. And then Stanford researchers recently uh, re- released the results of uh, how to make vegetables more appealing, and they found that if you call it healthy, that your sales tank, but if you call it a spicy, sizzling string beans, that people are much more likely to order them. And then on the contrary, there were researchers um, at the London School of Economics that had a separate vegetarian section on a menu, and then another menu that had the exact same items that were sprinkled throughout the menu, and that when they had the separate vegetarian section, it decreased sales by 54%. So I think that um, when we're marketing these programs and and the food items, we really need to focus on the virtues of the food, Mm -hmm. that they're crunchy or spicy or sizzling, or as World Resources Institute talks about the provenance, where it came from, a Tuscan white bean pizza or Baja bean burritos. And then for your vegetarian and vegan guests who are actually looking for it, have some kind of small insignia so that they can find it. But what we're trying to do is change the the choices of everyone and not just appeal to that small group of customers who are seeking those items. I want to go to what Audrey brought up about schools a little bit because it sounds like it's a little tougher. Um, And I talk a little bit more about the differences between the institutions that you you tackle because they're all not the same. Uh, And schools are notoriously hard because parents are notoriously concerned and uninformed about what their kids should be eating. And so I'm sure you face a lot of pushback. And while it seems like you all have done some great work to convince institutions to bring about change, I, maybe we should spend some time talking about the, the ridiculous pushback that you do get as well. Yeah, so um, here's what I'll say. Here's the caveat that I approach schools with. I am certainly not trying to burn anything to the ground. I am a mother myself. I recognize how resource-strapped everybody is, how resource-strapped parents are, how resource-strapped schools are, all of that sort of stuff. Um, But for a very long time, the narrative about helping our children be healthy has focused almost exclusively on individuals. So parents, you need to feed your kids better at home. Parents, you need to teach your kids healthy habits. Children will eat between 180 and 360 meals a year at school. That is the same number of meals that I feed my child at home for dinner. And so when I think about that, in my mind, this is is about recognizing that we all are facing the same similar obstacles, but holding our institutions to the same high standards that we hold ourselves when we think about the longevity and health of our children. So yes, it's super hard. It is not easy. There are Every parent in here will say, like, oh, I absolutely want my child to be healthy. Um, Decades of misinformation and disinformation campaigns by the food industry 
have made it difficult to discern what actual nutrition and good health looks like. We trust our institutions to take care of our children. And we have found if we can make it easy and basically like a turnkey advocacy program, then parents will get involved because we all want the same thing. Schools want the same thing. Like nobody comes to their school as a food service director and is like, man, I cannot wait to load these kids up with saturated fat today. They're just like, this is all I have to work with. And so as long as we can sort of like push folks to say, we all can do better. We know we can do better, so let's do it. Thank you, Audrey. Um, I want to go to one of the audience questions, which is, what is your advice to a corporate employees who want to make change from the inside of their organization? Sebastian or yes. Kim? <laughs> I mean, Google's well, already doing it, so maybe that's a terrible example. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there are different routes one, one, one can try. I think it, the first is to find allies within the companies and then reaching out to either, you know, the corporate sustainability officer or to the, the health manager of the company or, you know, trying to find out, you know, who's, which route is, is the most promising. And then obviously, you know, reaching out to like, you know, HSUS and, for example, like doing looking who's actually the caterer of the company and then, you know, trying to organize maybe like a in-house training or set up some program that incentivizes people to eat more plant-based or, or to change the catering, then, then, then you get everybody with one swoop. And it, I, I think, you know, it's that it, it is like somewhat of a grassroots level and, and you, if your users are demanding it and there's a war on talent, Right. And and if the users say, you know, this is what we want and they're going to universities for a specific reason in the diets and the and the, the vegan food that they can get there, you know, they're going to companies now too for that that reason. And like, you know, well, what are the amenities and, and how how can we how can a company attract and retain that talent? And one of it one of the ways is through healthy healthy eating. I mean, what if you said you know, I'm going to go work at this company. Not only is my career going to take off, but I'm going to become healthier. It's going to be easy for me to to stick to to, to my personal like diet goals, and and I can become a healthier person. That's a big thing. If you would like a hands-on toolkit, Balanced actually created a. Um, it's a nice one. It's not a burn it to the ground because you can't do that to your employer for all of the right. reasons you'll get fired. But if you go to the Eating Animals website in their resources under Companies and Investors, Balanced created a tool like how to approach mm-hmm. meat reduction in a corporate setting with um, an entire PowerPoint that makes the public health case and the uh, employee productivity case for mm-hmm. doing so. Let's assume you've been successful in convincing uh, an institution or a company to do something positive. Um, what's the first next step that they take? Would you recommend, or what do you recommend? Is it meatless Mondays? Is it blended burgers? Is it beef and mushroom? Is it uh, the protein flip? Is it, um, you know, plant forward? I mean, what is the first and easiest way to introduce this into a dining hall? Like, what, where do you start typically? Anyone? Well, I can share what we what we 
while we appreciate things like the protein flip and the blended burger, any, any means to reducing the amount of meat that's on menus and that's being produced, we've really focused on plant-based because we feel like it's a way that you can appeal to all of your guests, especially people who are looking for those options who are often your most vocal customers, as well as people who have allergies or special diet requirements. Um, I see Meatless Monday as being a good foot in the door, but we realize it doesn't work for all institutions because they have different operational needs or some institutions have guests who just kind of balk at the term meatless and see it as deprivation. But it has been a good conversation starter. And really, we'll work with institutions that are interested in doing a meatless Monday or a meat-free Friday or whatever it is. It's just a means of finding what works best for them. And we go into it as a resource. We want to find a way that we can help them with meeting what they see as their goals. And we're open to any of those. Yeah, I want to go to one of the audience questions, but before I read it out, uh, since it's about Google, mm. for those that don't know, Google, uh, if you're an employee of Google, all the food is free. That's an important fact to keep in mind because uh, it changes what people choose a little bit, I'm yeah. assuming. Yes. Uh, and they probably want healthy options because you can't, you know, you're not going to be great if you eat junk every day. So Google has a responsibility, but at the same time, your employees who are obviously incredibly smart are demanding more. So... Um, the question really is, what, how many meals are vegetarian at Google's dining halls, and what is the percentage you would like to achieve? Um, what are your thoughts on that question? I, I'm sure you, that's a tough question to answer. That, that is a tough question. Um, you know, the, the, we are working on you know, reducing the amount of meat in our environment. So we use the, the protein flip. We use the meat as a garnish. We use the blended burgers. Um, we have stations that are only vegetarian. We don't call it out as vegetarian. We tried meatless, and there was the whole ah, deprivation sense. Um, so we don't do that anymore. Um, that didn't work in our environment. Uh, but it's, it, and because there is not a barrier, you know, there's not a price barrier, I think sometimes you can encourage um, people with their with their wallet to make some right decisions. So then, again, we go back to choice architecture and behavioral sciences and craveable, delicious food to help nudge our, our users towards that more plant-forward diet. Um, but we're working on, you know, we have some internal goals about reducing beef consumption, and, and uh, we have expectations around our menus about how many um, vegetable choices we should have in a buffet. So we do have those core expectations globally, and we work, we work towards those. What are your thoughts on sort of a carrot versus a stick approach? So let's, I'm sure some of you have heard that WeWork, um, one of the biggest co-working yeah. um, companies, um, they have operations around the world, announced that they will no longer be um, allowing employees to expense uh, meals that have meat, and they no longer will serve meat at their locations. Uh, which, you know, the press has been positive and some of it has been negative yeah. because it seems a little heavy-handed. Um, but I think it's bold. Uh, what do you have to say? We're in 2018. Uh, the world, we have a population of 7.6 billion people on the planet. We're going to be 10 billion by the year 2050. Like, quit with the nudging. Let's just tell people what we, to do. Uh, yeah, we, we have a responsibility. I, yeah, I keep saying nudging, but um, I, I was going to use the same word, bold. That, that is bold. Um, we nudge, we reduce, uh, we don't shout it from the, you know, it's bold to say it from the rooftops. Uh, 
Google is not as vocal, but we're working on it. In my opinion, you need both, stick and yeah. carrot. So mm -hmm. we, we recognize at Balance that we are not yeah. necessarily um, the organization that institutions will come to if they want to be like highly collaborative. They're like, wow, look at all those nice moms. But we also realize that there are organizations like HSUS that if we can come in and create the urgency for an institution to engage in their work, mm -hmm. we're happy to do that. We also are happy to sort of shout from the rooftops the um, reasons why this is so urgent. You know, every 40 seconds, someone has a heart attack, $200 billion a year in healthcare costs, um, all of those sort of things, just to create that urgency mm -hmm. and pressure. Um, but we realized, like, if all we did was pressure and there was no carrot, we would be ineffective as well. Ashton, any thoughts on that from your? No, I would also say that it takes both. I think it's you know we have generally like the the good cup approach, but we are always happy if there are other groups who put on the pressure because, as I say, we work on a team even though it doesn't say so on the website. But it, it does. It's an interesting thing, right? So certain companies out there are willing to make bold statements. You then set the trend that others may yeah. may may be willing to go out there and do something like that, and that's kind of how sure. change happens, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so and let's go to the audience question. I'm not sure to what extent that's relevant for this discussion, but I, it's been upvoted, so I have to ask it. <laughs> um, what about, you know, how do you, the fact that we're talking about affordability of a plant-based diet or way of eating when it's primarily adopted by affluent people, I would challenge the question, but I'd let you all respond to that. <laughs> We'll let you challenge the question. <laughs> well, again, since we're mostly talking about institutions, uh, one, one thing that when we are working with school districts in particular is that we know that for some students that they're getting three meals. They're getting breakfast, lunch, and supper at schools. And so for them, I think that it is an equity of access, that they deserve a healthy, nutritious, cholesterol-free meal as much as everyone does. And so so it's, it's certainly, I, I think, on the contrary, that we should be giving everyone access to these foods in the institutional setting. Of course, recently California just passed um, legislation that's requiring that any state-funded hospital or correctional facility offer more plant-based options, the first in the nation, which I think is huge. Yes, exactly. And, and the point being, like, state-run hospitals, state-run correctional facilities, these are institutions that are working on a very slim budget, but everyone deserves to have access to these more helpful, nutrient-dense meals. Um, any data you can share about institutions um, that have, have done this for a few years and have um, tracked the progress is in terms of user feedback about cost reduction, mm -hmm. about uh, sustainability, uh, benefits or measures that they've tracked. Um, what what are you seeing, and how are you using as that as a model to influence others to do the same? I'm sure Audrey and Christy, both of you have examples. We've only been around a year, so we don't have <laughs> multi-year data. Yeah. Well, I can share that there. It's very difficult to get data. I mean, that, that's a struggle that we've had. And if I see Google, uh, who's uh, yeah. I know data data king, um, <laughs> having struggles with that, then I feel a little bit better. But it's something that we've been struggling with for some time. There's a little bit of information out there. Um, certainly, sales. We know that there there have been dramatic increases in sales by some institutions that have uh, that has encouraged them to be a leader and others to follow in their footsteps. One example of that is can you 
Theseus College, which is operated by Chartwells. It's a subsidiary of Compass Group, which is the largest food service provider in the world. And at Canisius College, their um, then um, manager, chef manager was approached by students who wanted more vegan options on campus. They had an underperforming vegetarian station, which ironically was right beside the butcher carving station. So probably no wonder it wasn't doing so well. But she saw what we were doing at HSUS and took a page from our playbook and converted that station to being totally vegan, but really playing up all of the comfort foods, doing things like buffalo mac and cheese sliders and really hearty food that again, happened to be vegan, and they saw sales there quadruple. And so later they turned all of their desserts on campus totally vegan because the students were amazed by the food. Um, so that's an example of how it's improved sales. And then the one institution, I'll give props to Friends of the Earth, um, they did a report with Oakland Unified, which we had worked with to do Meatless Monday and later Lean and Green Wednesdays. They reduced their meat purchases by 30%, and they found that um, they saved $42,000 over the course of two years, and, um, and the district saved 42 million gallons of water. So um, again, they've been a trailblazer, but it's an example of an institution that's been able to serve healthier options to their students, save money, which I think anybody would be excited about, certainly their um, chief financial officer, and also reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and their water usage. Wow, that's excellent. Um, I have an idea for Google, Kim, um, yes. <laughs> that I think <laughs> could, be, could be a great product and then I think could help other institutions. Um, so Google, since it's the, 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 obviously the leader in technology, uh, should use artificial intelligence to create some sort of a app to track what people are eating. Give them a goal of eating 80% plant-based throughout the week. And then if you've eaten uh, the, the meat burger the previous day, you just don't get served that in the, in the dining halls. <laughs> oh. Facial recognition, it scans, yeah. and it's yeah, like, no scan meat and it's like, sorry, you can't. This is the only available option today. Yeah. <laughs> Bean burgers. Or we'll have them go through a scanner, and we'll see their cholesterol. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not so crazy. It could happen, right? right. Uh, if right. anyone can do it, it's Google. Um, I'm going to go to uh, the, the top question we have here. We kind of touched on this earlier, but really what are the big differences between the institutions um, that you target, schools, hospitals, governments, nonprofits, um, or you know, corporates, and, um, and kind of how do you change your messaging? I'll let Sebastian take yeah. this one. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it's really always important to know who you are targeting and you know, as the four groups that are listed are obviously quite different. For example, in hospitals, it's really, you know, because they have so many, many special needs, you know, if there's somebody with diabetics or somebody with uh, diabetes or some other diseases. So actually, for us, we, we decided that it's actually really, really complicated to stick with that. Um, this is also one of the reasons why we do some work with hospitals, but actually focus more on the schools, because those are also, in, in hospital, people are usually older, so which means that even if they change their diet, they, you know, they're not, you know, just naturally not going to stick with it that long, as if you convince somebody who's like 10 years old. Uh, obviously, in schools, it's very important, you know, that the, the price plays a, plays a big role. Uh, in government, I would say uh, they're really hard to change because they, they're not really competitive. And with companies, we actually made the, 
uh, the biggest uh, impact by making rankings and comparisons. So by actually showing, okay, which of the catering companies, for example, is uh, you know the most sustainable one, mm. the most healthy one, or which of the the companies that do their own catering. Uh, and then you you know we work with professional magazines that then publish these rankings and then. You know, I, I was getting, you know, well, a while ago, getting a call from a company that, you know, you can't open any of these magazines without reaching what our, all our competitors are doing. So we got to start something. What would you recommend? So I think, yeah, it's really important to always look at the target audience and tailor your message according to that. Yeah. And obviously, you all um, on the panel are representing sort of different approaches and, and different arenas in which you're doing this, but you obviously all share the same passion for uh, getting people to eat healthier, more sustainable food, more um, animal friendly foods. Um, my, I guess, the question would be since to, this summit is focused on action, maybe a good way to start to get to the close of this panel is to talk about. If each of you could have one thing that could make your mission to get people to eat more plant-based, more sustainable, more healthy, one thing you could ask for today that would make your lives and your mission easier, what would that be? Um, we'll start with Christy. Another wish? Just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have been asking for this for a long time, as Audrey knows and anybody who's worked in institutional food service that we know that there are a lot of barriers, and one of them is low labor, sometimes no labor, um, skill, unskilled workers, people who don't really understand, or inability to transport food, all of these things. So having a low-cost or cost um, commensurate plant-based chicken nugget is my dream, and I'm excited that Seattle Food Tech, a representative, is here in the, the front row. Chicken <laughs> is one of the most ubiquitous um, items, uh, chicken nuggets, chicken patties on K-12 through school menus. It's a perennial favorite of children, and if we could have a product that had the same taste texture, was available, and had the same cooking preparation, then I feel like we would spare a lot of animals and reduce our carbon footprint um, and all of the other reasons that we're trying to get more plant-based options on menus. That's a great wish. I wish for the. I would wish for um, our our culinary teams, the the folks who are who are making our food, not only in the restaurants and fancy Google cafes, but but those uh, making chicken nuggets, to learn and have the skills to work with vegetables and make it delicious and craveable. So it's not it's not like uh, the you know the yucky vegetable it's the delicious vegetable it's not even the vegetable it's it's your choice so i would say um, i want chefs to learn more about and get more excited about vegetables um so i'm a pragmatist my wish is going to be very very simple um i would really love for more folks to get involved um leading advocacy where they work or where they live, work, play, learn. That's the tagline, right? Um, so actually launch um, some sort of advocacy. Use our team. We are here. We provide one-on-one -on -one coaching literally every step of the way. And we can help you do it nicely. But if you need us to come in and sort of apply that pressure, it's people are so much more powerful than they realize because when we're talking about a lot of our community institutions, these are institutions designed to serve us, 
community members. And so the more we can organize and share with folks that, hey, there is demand, let us show you. And um, yeah, I would, I would just want more folks to get involved at the institutional level. Yeah, I have quite a complimentary wish uh, to Audrey. Um, there's an institution which probably most of you haven't heard yet. It's called GRI, which stands for Global Reporting Initiative. And this is actually the institution on a global scale that defines what sustainability reports should look like. And you know, as you know, most major companies, you know, all Fortune 500 companies, are actually have to write. Um, uh, sustainability reports, and it's kind of like ironic because they have to report about, you know, what kind of measures they take, you know, whether they take recycled toilet paper or all these, you know, all, you know, they have to, you know, be very detailed how sustainable they are. But at the moment, they usually don't have to report what actually their, uh, their employees are eating. And this is a bit ridiculous, you know, because if you think about, you know, how much sustainability is impacted by the way, you know, if you look at Google, I mean, it's obviously nice how you treat your water, but it's obviously probably even more important what all the people working at Google work. So my wish would be that, and we have been working on that for a number of years now, to actually lobby GRI, like the Global Reporting Initiative, successfully that they incorporate within the template of the sustainability reports that companies have to report what they do to change the way their employees eat towards more plant-based diet. That's great. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but I wanted to thank um, all our panelists, Christy, Kim, uh, Audrey, and Sebastian. Uh, thank you for the audience questions. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.